You may remember that last year I spoke at the Stepmom Summit, and this year I'm speaking again. The Stepmom Summit is a three-day virtual event that will help stepmoms improve their blended family lives. The event is running from April 20th to the 22nd with five to seven presentations every day with some kick-ass experts. Speakers include Nina Purewell, a best-selling author, and she's talking about how to let shit go. Michelle Dempsey is speaking on effective co-parenting. Mindy Kyle is speaking on how to avoid a stepmom burnout. Cameron from This Custom Life is speaking on how to survive the teenage years. Beth from Inclusive Stepmom is speaking on how to thrive as a childless stepmom. Christina from Radical Stepmom Podcast is talking about how to handle when expectations don't get met. And I'm going to dive into how to disengage the right way. Plus, there's so many more experts. It's just way too long to share in this blurb. Now, if you want to attend live, it is totally free, but there's also an opportunity to get access to all the recordings if you can't make it. This is just such a great resource, and I am so thrilled to be part of the speaker lineup. To get access to these interviews, you can sign up via jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom summit. That link will take you right to the stepmom summit page. That's www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom summit. It's going to be good. Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom though. Here, we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission? Inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. All right, guys. Sleep hygiene, managing stress and anxiety, and managing step-family dynamics. You guys know these are topics that I just love to dive into, and that's actually what we're talking about on today's episode. So today's guest is my good friend and founder of Goodnight Sleep Site, Alana McGinn. Since 2007, Alana has established Goodnight Sleep Site as being a number one sleep resource for families, and her and her team of sleep consultants strive in helping families, babies to adults, and corporations overcome sleep challenges and have well-rested smiles in the morning. She serves on the faculty of the Family Sleep Institute. She is a certified stress management coach and the host of This Girl Loves Sleep podcast. She's also been featured in publications like Forbes, McLean's, Today's Parent, Prevention Magazine, and has appeared as the leading sleep expert on CityLine and Breakfast Television. So she is like a major sleep expert. Alana is literally the best. In this episode, we talk about ways to manage stress so it doesn't impact your sleep, sleep hygiene, sleep debt, and we also chat about common sleep issues in co-parenting. Like, what do you do if mom is co-sleeping, but you are not comfortable with your stepkids in the bed? Or if the sleep routine at mom's house is completely different than the sleep routine at your house, how do you manage and find that sleep routine? There's a bunch of good ones that come up in this episode. Can't wait to share it with you. So with that, let's dive in. So sleep and stress. That is a big thing for all of us right now. So I feel like that is a really good place to start because I don't know. I feel like everyone's just 
more stressed right now. Do you feel like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to somebody the other day and they said, you know, we're talking about burnout and stress and she's like, I just feel frayed. And I thought that that was such a good way to like, I'm like, yes, like just frayed. You know, you can see the material like all frayed and kind of unraveling. I'm like, that's a great way to put it. Because that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling too. (laughs) And it's so interesting because even me, you know, my whole intention lately has been to scale back and to have more peace and to prioritize my energy and all of that. But then I'm like, oh, okay, I'll launch a course. I'm going to add something to my plate. Like the other day, it was Saturday afternoon and I was like, I'm just going to sit down and read a book. And I felt guilty for doing that. I felt lazy for not doing something. And that is so screwed up. Like we are all so stressed, but we're doing it to ourselves. 100%. And I think also that's because, you know, when you mentioned that, and then I just launched a course, like that's our little entrepreneurial brains that don't allow us that moment of celebrating or that moment of rest. It's always like, okay, next. And I struggle with that huge when I'm not doing anything or if I'm, you know, going through, whether it be a transition in my life or going through something where you're kind of stuck in that rut and you're not able to advance how you want to. I really struggle with that. You know, a month ago, you know, my youngest, as you know, are twins and I've always, I've had a bad back ever since having them. And a month ago, my back just went out and I was stuck in bed, like physically could not get out of bed for five days. And as much as it was painful and I hated it, it was like, in my head, I'm like, this was actually my body's way of being like, or the universe, I'm a big believer of that, being like, this is the only way that we are just going to get you to stop Mm -hmm. is if we physically cannot make you open up your computer. Like physically, you cannot get out of bed. And that's not good. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to have a bad back to like turn off my computer for five days. Yeah. So that made me reevaluate some things, you know? Mm -hmm. And hopefully that sticks. (laughs) right? Because we always remember and then, you know, life gets going. So I think a lot of people really struggle with sleep when they're stressed. I know my husband, like I'll wake up in the middle of the night and buddy's beside me with his phone on. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I can't sleep. So, well, the blue light in your eyes is probably going to help that out for you. Right. You know, turn off the phone, try to go back to sleep, but he's so stressed because he has so many things to do or he can't shut off his brain. So what kind of tips do you have for, you know, stress management and sleep? Because you can't manage stress any better when you're freaking exhausted. No. And I mean, listen, our stress levels, as we said, are at an all-time high and it definitely affects our sleep and how well or not well we're sleeping at night. You know, I'm a firm believer in, you hear the word, and I think we've even mentioned it once already, you know, balance and setting boundaries and, and all of those things. And that is so important, but that can also be really hard to do when you are working, you are a parent or not a parent, you're just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in our life where we really struggle with setting those boundaries and finding that balance. And what happens is we are such a busy society. We are always connected. We are always go, 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 whether it be with our own lives, with work, with our kids' lives. We have so much daytime distraction that doesn't allow us to complete our to-do list, doesn't allow us to really sit and think about that to-do list or those problems or those worries You know, I'm not going to tell people don't stress out, don't have anxieties, don't have worries. We're human. We're going to have those things. But I think there's so much that we can do during the day to alleviate our stress and manage our stress levels better that will then in turn help us sleep at night. So using your husband as example, he's busy. He's got a lot on the go. Does he allow himself time or for those listening that have been in that situation, we all have been in that situation. 
are we allowing ourselves time throughout the day to work through those worries and those concerns and those anxieties and that to-do list? Or are we just leaving it until bedtime when suddenly the distractions are gone? Now we're lying in bed, the distractions of our life and our world are gone. And that's just when our brain floods or at three o'clock in the morning, that's when our brain floods. So I talk a lot about giving yourself that time throughout the day. It's called the personal pause. And there's one of two ways of doing it. One way is just being more mindful in how we think. It doesn't even have to go as far as the standard meditation, but you know, what are some activities that you can do that just allow you to be in that more present state of mind? So it could be going for a walk. It could be creating a hobby. You know, how many times are you asked, like, do you have any hobbies? I never know what to say when somebody asks me that. Like, I don't know what my hobby is. My hobby is work or my kids. You know, that's kind of like my hobby. That's not okay. So what are some creative outlets that you can do to give yourself that creative rest? So giving yourself more, I call it like a mindful hush, like more of a mindful pause. But then the other way of having that personal pause is you have to allow yourself time throughout the day to stress the fuck out. Like you just do, you know, because we're going to stress out, but we have to do it constructively. So it's called constructive worrying. So giving yourself time throughout that day to write out that to-do list, to work through your problems, going as far as, you know, taking a piece of paper, you have two columns on one column, you're writing out your problem, whatever that problem might be on the other column beside it, you're writing out some solutions to find solutions to that problem. You don't have to solve that problem in that moment, but maybe, you know, one step could be just, you know, booking an appointment or making that call you have to, or, you know, starting that article you have to write, whatever that problem is, fold that piece of paper away and put it away so that you know that you've already started to work on that problem. So when you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning and guess what? That problem is still going to pop into your head because we're human. You can also train your brain to think, okay, you know what? I took time throughout the day to work on it and I'll take time throughout the day tomorrow to work on it. So find time throughout the day to work through what you need to work through. You don't have to solve it necessarily right away, but start working on it so that you're not busy working on it at three o'clock in the morning, but we have to book that time in. Mm -hmm, For sure. And even spending time at the beginning of the day planning like the things that you want to do. I think sometimes we forget, like we just start, right? And then the end of the day, like, oh shit, I was supposed to do this. It's like, well, did you set yourself up to do it or did you just start your day and just start going? When I talk a lot about sleep, you know, a lot of people expect me to talk about bedtime and bedtime routine and the importance of it. And all of that is true. You know, there is importance to a great bedtime routine, but your morning routine is just as, if not more important to set yourself up to sleep well at night, because it really does start your pace for the day. It starts your mindset for the day and allowing yourself to have that consistent morning routine, just like a consistent bedtime routine to kind of visualize how your day will play out to wake up in a less chaotic way. You know, for me, I always give myself at least 30 minutes when I wake up and I don't check in on my phone. Because the minute I open my phone, I mean, I'm a business owner, I'm a parent, I'm checking emails, I am logging into social media, and that just floods your brain in a second. So I really try to give myself at least 30 minutes. And that could be emptying the dishwasher, having a cup of coffee, dealing with my kids, doing a workout, whatever that is, it's that me time. And that helps set the pace. So, and I know that, you know, for those that are listening who maybe have little kids, that morning routine can be really hard and difficult. That calm morning routine can be hard and difficult, but trying to create one with as less chaos as you can 
more structured mm-hmm. is a great way to start for sure. Yeah. And I think it's a great opportunity too. And I don't want to sound like someone who's like, oh no, you can teach your kids to be calm in the morning. Like I understand it's difficult, Yeah, but I do think there's an element of that as well, right? You know, starting the kids off and teaching them the importance of, you know, easing into your day or, you know, starting your day with a meditation or like some soft music or like, let's do some quiet time. Even this morning, it was so funny. I wanted to go downstairs and I'm really into just stretching and like listening to soft music right now, like in the morning, just like sometimes when I'm trying to meditate, I'm like, I can't shut off my brain and I'm just in that. That's my week right now. So that to me is not a productive use of my time because I can't get there. But I have this app that's like active meditation. So I'm just like listening to this music and these (laughs) affirmations and kind of stretching a bit. And I said to Reese, I said, do you want to come downstairs and stretch with me? She's like, no, I'm really into a Lang meditation right now. (laughs) You know, she's eight, but you know, we've taught her just the importance of like that peaceful, quiet morning. And mind you, I only have one who's in that stage. So I get it's more difficult, but those little pieces, they do pick up on that as well. And you kind of, kind of set that tone. Yeah. The conversations you have around the house. I mean, we all know this with kids, they hear more than we think just seeing what you're doing it plays a role, you know, and they can mimic it in their own way, right? She has her own meditation, which I love. So yeah, absolutely. The morning routine. One thing that I always did with my kids, I mean, my kids are older now, they're tweens and teens, but when they were really little, I have three. So, you know, choosing the outfits was always like the hardest thing. So I literally bought a bin with five drawers. I labeled it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And every Sunday I would choose all their outfits when they let me. This is when they were little and I had a say in what they wore to school. Do you remember that? Wasn't that so nice? Oh, gosh. Every Sunday I would choose their everything from underwear to socks and just throw it in each bin. And that was a game changer in our house. And it taught them how to dress themselves, how to choose their outfits. They would help me, you know, like just that little step changed our morning routine huge. Mm -hmm, For sure. I'm big on if it's a stressful and a chaotic morning. I do think it's the parent's responsibility to dial that back. And again, I know that could be triggering to people because, you know, kids have different issues and all of those things. But like your morning routine is not working and you're starting the day really activated. It's time to shift something and make some sort of change. Like it is not my eight-year-old's responsibility to manage the vibe of our home in the morning. No, I fully agree. And we've all had those parenting fail moments. I can remember them vividly. You know, you have that chaotic morning, you know, you've contributed to it fully because I don't know if it's just as a mother or maybe I'm just more sensitive, but I find like anyone else in the house can be cranky, upset, mad. But the minute that me as a mom is cranky, upset, mad, it changes the entire vibe of the house. Do you notice that? Yeah. The woman sets the tone. Right. And then it's just that guilt. And you know, now that you are sending them off to school, holding all that energy that you just put out into the world. Listen, parental guilt never goes away, right? But you're right. It is up to us to manage that and shift that energy if we can. But, you know, Mm -hmm. there's times where we can't. And unfortunately, they're they're going to school with that energy. And Godspeed to the teachers. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about some strategies before bed, just to kind of wind down, manage that stress, kind of get into the mood for your bedtime routine. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about like a power down hour. You know, we always create these amazing bedtime routines for our kids, but we kind of fail to do that for ourselves. We just kind of jump into bed and, you know, then we start watching TV or surfing on the phone. And before I break out the power down hour, I will briefly talk about tech. I have changed my stance on that a little bit. You know, there was a few years ago where there was the whole bedtime 
procrastination revenge theory that was kind of going around. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but you know, I understand the beauty of those evening hours when you are a parent, or even if you don't have kids where it's your work is done, your chores are done, kids are in bed. And it's like, this is now my time. And I always felt awful telling people like, don't go on your phones, don't watch TV, turn off all tech, you know, get ready for bed. If you're someone, if you're listening to this and you are really struggling with sleep, if you suffer from chronic insomnia, if you're really having a hard time, you know, quieting your mind and settling down, removing tech is the best thing you can do. I do still stand by the fact that it is probably the biggest sleep buster in our bedroom and the reason why we are such a sleep deprived society, 100%. If you're someone who's like, you know, I sleep okay, but I think that I probably could make some changes to sleep better or to manage my stress better. I think it's just more important to really set boundaries around the tech that you're absorbing before you go to bed. So yes, the blue light, you mentioned that before. Yes, you know, if we think of our brain as having that sleep switch, it can turn the sleep switch off in our brain and not allow us to get great restorative sleep. But there is beauty in the fact of if you are going through a period in your life or you need to quiet your mind right now, I understand the importance of watching that show that just makes you feel good. You know what I mean? This isn't me saying watch the entire season until two o'clock in the morning, but if watching one episode of a show that makes you laugh because you've had a really crappy day, like for me, it's Friends or The Office. If I'm having a bad day, I'll just turn that and there's some nostalgia behind it and it just makes me feel light and airy and fluffy before I go to bed. It's great. Or if connecting with a friend, you know, on FaceTime or through text makes you feel okay before you go to bed, that's okay to do. Not till two o'clock in the morning, you know, set boundaries on that. If you're someone who's very triggered by the news, nothing coming out of the news, in my opinion, is not triggering lately. So, you know, stay away from news headlines before you go to bed. Stay away from any kind of social platforms, social media platforms, social media accounts that don't make you feel good or maybe amp up your stress or anxiety. Stay away from the TV shows that are going to do the same thing, you know, set boundaries around that stuff. But then give yourself that hour before you go to bed to get ready for bed. So we call it our power down hour and we break it up into three 20 minute increments. So for the first 20 minutes, you're preparing again, going back to the morning, right? Preparing for the next day. So, you know, alleviating that to-do list. So it could be like packing your lunch, picking out your outfit for the next day, preparing things for the kids. If you're a caregiver, preparing it for whoever you are caring for, those types of things. The next 20 minutes is all about you brushing your teeth, going through all your beauty care regimen and and all the stuff that you want to do, you know, changing into PJs, all of that stuff. And then the last 20 minutes is a calming activity, whatever that could be. A lot of times we talk about meditation. We talk about mindful thinking, but you know, you don't necessarily have to do that. Sometimes people, you know, when they hear, oh, I have to learn how to meditate, that in itself can be overwhelming because it's like, I don't have time to learn how to meditate. That's just another thing I got to do, you know? So Mm -hmm. maybe it's just reading a story. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's listening to an audio story or, you know, there's a lot of great meditation apps that can kind of help guide you through that meditation. So you don't have to learn anything, Mm -hmm. but taking that last 20 minutes for just you or just lying in bed, connecting with your partner through conversation, through stories, through things like that with your kids that can help too. So making sure you're allowing yourself that time to have a proper bedtime routine, super important. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to pay attention to how you feel after you do certain things before bed. Yeah. You know, I've started to get really strict on, I'm done with screens before bed, like seven, eight, I'm done. I take Instagram off my phone because I have zero self-control. You know, it's across the room because I do listen to a meditation app when I'm falling asleep. Yeah. All of that is just really, really important to me. But for example, last night, I was so tired yesterday. And normally I read before bed. I like to read a fiction. 
novel, good Colleen Hoover book before bed. And I was just like, oh, I just want to, I just learned about the Housewives of Beverly Hills. I've never watched it before. Oh, we need to have an, an episode just on Bravo. Prig. <laughs> so I started watching episode one. So this is like. Oh, you're going like back to season one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I just wanted to know. I didn't know if I needed to know this to like watch them all or whatever. So anyway, last night I'm like, I'm just going to watch this. Well, I watched four episodes and sure I was still in bed, you know, before 10, but I woke up this morning. Like I feel like my eyes hurt and I didn't sleep well. And I was saying to Reese this morning, I said, I learned my lesson, right? Like we know that screens before bed make us so we don't sleep as well. Yeah. And you know, I'm feeling it today, like paying attention to that though, 100%. right? Because when I read before bed, I wake up and I'm excited to wake up for the day. Like today I was like, oh, when the alarm went off, it's like, God help me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, I'm a sucker when it comes to Bravo stuff. So I get it. It's easy to watch four episodes real quick, but that's where I say set those boundaries. You know, one episode maybe would have been feeling a little bit better, right? It gives you that endorphin burst that you need before you go to bed. Those happy serotonin chemicals are going through your body, but you don't need to watch the four episodes of it, right? But be more mindful. You know, we talk a lot about mindful eating, how we feel after we have certain foods or certain meals and same thing with, you know, what you were saying, how do you feel after you've fallen down the TikTok hole, which I've been guilty of before you go to bed? I'm not even on TikTok because <sighs> there is absolutely no way that I would function as a human being Don't. with the ability to just keep doing that. Like I, do Darren gets lost in it. And I'm just like, I can't give myself the opportunity. I just started like a month ago and there's a lot of regret there, but there's also, I just can't stop. I've also learned a lot of things. <laughs> Could basically build a house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like it's crazy. It's a whole beast. But yes, no, but I don't do it before I go to bed. But there are nights where I have. I'll admit it. I have. I'm human. But setting those boundaries on how much time you're allowing in, right? And we also don't want to spend too much awake time in bed because that weakens that association, right? So using Darren as an example, you know, when he's waking up in the middle of the night and he can't sleep and therefore he just goes on his phone, what is happening in that moment is he's weakening that association between sleep and bed. And being in bed is going to start feeling like a negative feeling because there is that replay of that inability to sleep while lying in bed. So if you can sleep, if you do wake up in the middle of the night and it's taking you longer than 15 or 20 minutes to fall asleep, and I know that this is so much easier said than done because it's so hard to do at two or three o'clock in the morning, but the best thing you can do is actually get out of bed. You know, do a quiet activity. Don't check your emails. Don't turn on the TV, but, you know, read a little bit or do a puzzle or knit or crochet or I don't know, whatever you want to do, do a crossword until you start feeling tired again and then try to get into bed again. It's actually a form of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's a therapy treatment under that umbrella, and it helps to strengthen that association between sleep and your bed. So if you can't sleep, the best thing you can do is actually get out of bed and then try again, which I know isn't easy. Yeah, because isn't it that like when you're like laying there and trying to get back to sleep and you're tossing and turning, you end up being even more tired or something? Yeah, well, it just heightens your stress and anxiety, right? Because you're likely not sleeping for different reasons. It could be foods you ate before you went to bed. It could be your blood sugar levels. It could be stress and anxiety that's keeping you up. But then that tossing and that turning is going to amplify that frustration and that stress. And we've all been guilty of that clock watching, right? Now we start looking at the clock and we think, okay, if I go to sleep now, I'll get four hours. If I go to sleep now, I'll get three hours. 
that doesn't help matters. And then what happens is, listen, when we're talking about insomnia, we all suffer from acute insomnia at times. There are times and periods in our lives where we're just not going to sleep well. I've gone through it myself. You've gone through it. Maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you're going through a more stressful time in your life. As women, we go through different hormonal shifts throughout the month that you know might mean a night or two of poor sleep. But what can happen is that acute insomnia can then cycle into that chronic insomnia because then you start learning, again, coming back to that mindset, our brain starts to rewire on our relationship with sleep and our relationship with sleep in our bed and how we feel when we're in it. And if we've had a lot of nights where we're not feeling great being in it or trying to sleep, that isn't going to help us to fall asleep better, if that makes sense. You almost have like your anxiety to get into bed. You're like, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Yeah. And this is, you know, a lot of people kind of throw around that word insomnia. And I think what's really important to note is that a bad night of sleep doesn't mean you have insomnia or that you're an insomniac. You know, it's okay to have a bad night of sleep. Like it's okay this morning that you woke up feeling crappy. It's okay. That's okay. You've learned. Feel okay Tomorrow, right tonight, you'll make better decisions. <laughs> And maybe tomorrow you'll feel better. Like it's okay for that to happen. It's okay if one night you toss and turn and you just don't sleep well. You know, when we look at insomnia and we look at sleep deprivation, insomnia are those individuals who cannot sleep when they want to sleep and they are hyper-focused on that. And they have stress and anxiety based on their relationship with sleep. Sleep deprivation is just those individuals who don't necessarily sleep when they should and are accumulating a sleep debt, but they're not worried about it. You know what I mean? Sleep deprivation can turn into insomnia because now all of a sudden you can start being like, oh, I haven't been sleeping well. Why haven't I been sleeping well? And now I'm going to hyper-focus on my sleep and that's going to increase, you know, and all of those things. But they're two totally different things. You can be sleep-deprived but not have insomnia, or you can have insomnia, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving, who also help support the show. I was just away in St. Martin for 11 days. It is the longest I've ever been away. And I have to say, it was amazing to be in the sun and just chill, but the bedding in the hotel was not good. Actually, it was terrible. I did not sleep well at all. In fact, I didn't realize how not good the bedding was until I got home and got back into my bamboo sheets and PJs from Cozy Earth. When we woke up the morning after we got home, I literally looked at Darren and said, how much did you miss these sheets? Even he loves them. They're insanely comfortable. Made from 100% premium viscose from bamboo. They have an oversized fit, which is key because there's nothing more annoying than your sheets and duvet cover not covering the whole bed. They're temperature regulating. They get softer with every wash. This is top tier luxury bedding that is unmatched in quality, comfort, and feel. Now you've also heard me talk about the pajamas forever. I didn't bring them down south because it's a pant set and I didn't want to get too hot but I am for sure getting myself a short set now because I miss them big time. The bamboo PJ set is also unreal. With 100 nights sleep trial and easy returns, I cannot recommend Cozy Earth enough. Now they have generously given listeners of the podcast a 40% off. Yeah, 40%, that is huge. Just use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. That's COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the jogger set. I have them in black and white. www.cozyearth.com and use the code COZYJAMIE40 for 40% off. 
I talk a lot about my morning routine, but my nighttime routine is just as important. When it's off, I notice a huge difference in the quality of my sleep and how I show up the next day. So here's the deal. I love to go to bed early. When we're done dinner, I'm usually completely off of social. I often delete it off my phone so I'm not distracted and don't have that urge. I'll do some reading with Reese, putter around, light a candle, clean up the kitchen, and just set the vibe for the end of the day. When I get into my bedroom, I plug in my phone across the room because I don't want to be tempted, and I get ready for bed. When I'm done reading my book, I crawl out of bed and turn on the Newcom Deep Sleep Journey. This is what puts me to sleep. The sounds and music is just, oh, I love it so freaking much. Newcom is such a huge part of my daily routine, and many times I use it up to twice a day. What used to be exclusively available to US military, pilots, professional athletes, doctors, and cancer patients, and used to be a $6,000 FDA class three medical device can now be yours through an app. It gives you the power to change your state, manage stress and anxiety, focus, and find your flow. Backed by over 33 years of clinically proven patent neuroscience, this technology is so easy to use and so powerful. At night, I use the deep sleep journey, and during the day, if I need a reset, I use one of their daytime journeys. It just helps me refocus, manage my anxiety, find my flow, relax, and really it's just everything I need to help me show up as my best. If you want to neutralize stress, restore sleep, and reach peak performance, you have to check this out. And Newcom has given a special offer to listeners of the podcast. So just head to www.newcom.com, that's N-U-C-A-L-M.com, and use the code JAMIE10 for 10% off. That's www.nucalm.com, and use the code JAMIE10 for 10% off. You're going to freaking love it. Let's talk about sleep debt for a minute, because... There's a lot of people who won't sleep a lot during the week and then they kind of catch up on the weekends or whatever the situation is. Is that healthy? Is that a good way to go about it? Or should we be making sure we have the right amount of sleep every day? I mean, you know, I always practice what I call the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time you should really be focusing on not just the quality of sleep that you're getting. We've talked a little bit about that with screens and stuff, but also the quantity of sleep that we're getting. You'll hear on average, you should be getting those seven to eight hours. That's just a good baseline. You know, some people listening, myself included, I function fine on six. If I can get seven or eight hours, amazing, but I'm also good if I get six. There's some people that might need nine or 10. If you're someone who's listening thinking I'm good on four or five, that's probably not the case. And what happens is it's kind of like alcohol. You know, the more you drink alcohol, your tolerance for that alcohol increases, right? Well, the less sleep you get, your body actually starts to feel okay on that amount of sleep because that's just what it's used to. But that's not what inside your body is telling you is what you need. So that's where that sleep debt starts accumulating. So if you think of a sleep debt as a bank debt, you know, if you have a nine hour sleep debt or a $9 bank debt, if you sleep in an extra, you know, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people think, well, I'll just sleep in an extra hour on the weekend. Well, if you sleep that extra hour on the weekend, or you put in that dollar into your bank, you still have an $8 bank debt. You still have an eight hour sleep debt. So it's not just going to erase the sleep debt that you've accumulated through weeks and months or maybe even years. So that's why it's really important to be as consistent as you can, valuing your sleep health the same way that you value your nutritional health and your physical health, which is all still very important, you know, putting as much time and effort into getting 
the right amount of sleep and the right quality of sleep as consistently life happens 20% of the time you know, you're going to have a bad night of sleep. You're going to go to bed late. You're going to have to wake up early or whatever is not the end of the world, but sleep debt doesn't just get erased with one sleep in on the weekend. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I've started to focus more on that. Like my alarm, when I go to bed, you know, that thing on the iPhone app now that you can kind of like see what you're going to get. Yeah. I used to be hardcore every single day up at five, just cause I always wanted to be up at five. And now if I'm not going to get that seven, eight hours, I shift my alarm and it's interesting because I thought it would be more productive being up at five, but I'm more productive when I have enough sleep. You know, we forget that. For sure. And I also think it's really important, again, coming back to, we always talk about bedtimes and bedtime routine. And I talked a little bit about, you know, the importance of a morning routine. The most important time of the day is the time in which you wake up. So instead of thinking, this is what my bedtime should be, I want people to think instead, this is what time I should be waking up in the morning. Now, we don't necessarily have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, but having a consistent morning wait time is really important because that's going to, you know, the moment we wake up, our sleep tank is like a gas tank, right? Whether we've had a good night of sleep or bad night of sleep, for the most part, our sleep tank is on empty. And we want to spend that entire day taking all the steps that we can take to fill that tank full at night. That's going to help us fall asleep easier. is going to help us get more restful sleep throughout the night. And one of the main ways to do that is having that consistent morning wake time. Like I said, it doesn't have to be 5 a.m. It could be 6 or 7 a.m. But waking up consistently, even on weekends, 80% of the time is going to help us fill that tank so that it's nice and full at night. So don't necessarily always focus on what time you're going to bed at, you know, count down from that morning wake time, how many, you know, whether you're a six hour, a seven hour, eight hour, nine hour, that should be that bedtime that you're trying to hit. But also, you know, go to bed when you're actually tired, not just because you think you should be going to bed at that time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually tired at 7.38. Yeah. Like I'm done. <laughs> Fair enough. I just love going to bed. Yeah. Question for you, in terms of the nutrition piece, so are there things that we're eating that affect our sleep and how you know rested we are in the morning? Like, is that something that we should, like, obviously we're supposed to eat healthy and clean and all the things, but- do you see an impact with what people are eating and how well they're sleeping? Yeah. I mean, in terms of what they're eating, yes, of course. Eating cleaner is always better, but it's also in when they're eating, the timing in which they're eating. You know, our bodies can only work on one major thing at a time, really, right? So if we're eating too close to bedtime, if we're having dinner, a large meal too close to bedtime, or, you know, this is coming back to the tech thing. I always hate telling people like, don't have that glass of wine at night because I get it. I understand it. But if you're drinking maybe too much or too many nights in a row, you know, we don't want our body busy working on removing the alcohol and digesting all that food because then it's not going to be able to get in that good quality sleep that we need to get in. So yes, we should always be focusing on what we're actually consuming in terms of nutritional value, but also focusing on how much and what you're eating so close to bedtime, you know, desserts, sugars, all of that is going to spike your blood sugar levels. It's going to make your insulin and all your organs work overtime while you're trying to sleep. So we want to avoid doing that. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. All right. Let's switch gears and talk about kids for a bit. So first off teenagers and tweens and sleep. Yeah. It's a beast. It's an issue, right? Because they want to stay up super late, then they have to get ready for school, tech before bed, like all of that. And to be honest, in our house, like I'm just kind of over nagging. Yeah. 
you know, especially, you know, we're a co-parenting home. So, you know, for us to say you can't have certain things in the bedroom when maybe that's allowed at the other home, I don't know if it is or not. Like, it's just exhausting. You got to pick the battles. Totally. You know, it's funny. That age group was the one age group throughout the pandemic that thrived in terms of sleep and in terms of, you know, removing the mental health aspect, because we know that that, you know, many were hit hard with that. But in terms of sleep and health on that front, that age group really thrived because they were now able to follow a schedule that actually worked properly for their natural biological clock. So what happens is that when our tweens and teens enter puberty, our melatonin, this is our natural sleep hormone. This is what our body releases to help drive our natural circadian rhythms to help prepare our bodies to sleep shifts later in the night throughout puberty. And then once they enter adulthood, it shifts earlier again to where, you know, it is when we are little kids and where we have it now as adults. So to tell your tween or teen to go to bed at like nine or even 10 sometimes can be really difficult because their body just isn't ready to fall asleep. And then also we're throwing in, you know, extracurricular activities and homework and jobs and and all of these things, right? Is pushing that bedtime out later and later. And then the downside is that high schools start so freaking early in the morning. You know, my daughter's leaving the house at a quarter to eight to go catch the bus. So, you know, they're not able to get the amount of sleep that they need to get. So that's why there there is a lot of organizations that are pushing for later start times for high schools and things like that, because that's where we saw throughout the pandemic, kids were able to sleep in more because all they had to do was roll out of bed and go online school. You know, they didn't have to get up so early to get to school. So yeah, we see a shift But that doesn't mean that conversations can't be had and we can't focus on healthy sleep for our tweens and teens. And that always starts, in my opinion, in their bedroom. And what kind of sleep environment are we creating? And is it set up for sleep? So yes, I set boundaries on myself for tech at night, but it's a big rule in my house that there's no tech in the bedroom for kids because their brain isn't fully developed to allow them to set those boundaries themselves. As a parent, I have to set those boundaries for them. So they can go in their rooms on their devices during the evening hours, but once it gets closer to bedtimes, they're out of their room because I know as a teen, I wouldn't trust myself. I don't trust myself sometimes as an adult to not be surfing on TikTok till two o'clock in the morning. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to trust my 15 year old to do that. No. Mm -hmm. So I got to set those rules. So I think it's really important. And you can only do what you do in your household. I know a lot listening are dealing with, you know, dual households and co-parenting. This is where I say sometimes you might just have to pick your battles and it's okay if you have different rules than perhaps your ex does for the kids at their home. You have to kind of create those boundaries for your kids yourselves. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to fight the fight sometimes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay to fight the fight. And then sometimes it's okay to be like, okay, this is not worth it. Totally. Totally. And I'm not saying oversleep. Yeah. That's actually really important. Yeah. But And have those conversations, you know, sit down and have those family meetings and work on it together as a family. You know, when we set tech boundaries, you know, I don't want my kids seeing me on the phone, you know, on TikTok till two o'clock in the morning, but I'm telling them they can't do it. So it's like, you know, you kind of also have to practice a little bit, but what you're preaching to your kids, you know, set that example and they can all kind of follow. Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of it. It's like unrelated, but funny story where I was having wine one night and I had said to my one of my stepson, I was like, you're only having one pop. And he's like, why do I only have one pop, but you get to probably have three glasses of wine? <laughs> I was like, touche. Yeah. Valid point, but no. <laughs> 
the word touche comes a lot in this house. My son actually just asked, he's like, what exactly does that mean? Because I say it a lot. I'm like, ooh, touche. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't even know, but it means that you have a freaking point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have a point. Okay. So other questions that come up in the forum of the membership a lot. So Stepmoms are struggling because there's co-sleeping. So when the kids are at mom's house, mom will let them sleep in the bed. And then they don't want their stepkids in the bed. So it's like this issue and there's no consistency, but the kids can't fall asleep alone. And it just causes issues in their marriage. And they don't feel comfortable with the kid in the bed. You mean they have their kids, but not the stepkids in bed. Is that what you mean? No. So at mom's house, their stepkids are allowed to sleep with mom. And then so when they come to their house, it's tricky because they want to sleep with a parent. Right. But that's not going to fly. Yeah. I mean, we've gone through this with a lot of clients too that are in similar situations. So, I mean, this really also depends on what kind of relationship the parents have together. So, you know, is it amicable where you guys can come to agreement and put a plan together? Just like we would put a sleep plan with a married couple, we would put a sleep plan together that both families can follow. Now, I understand that that's not always the case. And, you know, it's not always amicable where they can work on a sleep plan together. If that's not the case, then we will work with, well, we'll work with both families, but if the family that necessarily doesn't want to do the co-sleeping depends on the age of the child. I mean, if the child is little, it's hard because there is that confusion. Well, why can I do it at mom or dad's, but I can't do it here, but we will work on a sleep plan to have the child feel safe and secure in their own space so that they don't want to go into the parent's bed. And that can happen, you know, whether they do it at both houses, whether they just do it at one or the other, your child is capable and able to sleep in their bed by themselves. But we have to set up that plan and that process to get them there. And that's just working with that family to do that. So whether that be, you know, incorporating a great attachment-filled bedtime routine, incorporating more limits and boundaries setting at night, the child can get to the point of understanding that, I can do it in this house and I can't do it in this house. Like that can happen. So I would love to say we all need to work together and you do the exact same things in both houses. But realistically, that's just not going to happen for the most part. So if you're at that stage where it's just not going to happen, it's okay to do what you have to do in your home to both of you guys have a good night of sleep. And if that means your child's sleeping in their bed and you're sleeping in your bed, you can still put that plan together to make that happen. It just might mean more of a bumpier road to get there because there will be that confusion factor, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. And when you say plan, it's not like saying, okay, tonight you have to sleep in your room. Like there's some sort of process that happens, right? To adjust the kids. Yeah, for sure. So we put like a 24 hour plan together. So depending on the age of the child, if we're talking like toddler and up, I'm thinking, you know, if a child's in their bed, so even older than toddler, we're thinking, you know, three years and up, we're focusing on nap routine. If the child's still taking a nap at that age, we're focusing on incorporating a great bedtime, making sure the child's going to bed at an age appropriate bedtime. That's another thing that we see happening in, you know, two separate houses is, you know, one house, the the child's going to bed at one time and the other house, you know, the child's going to bed at a different time. So what is a great bedtime? You know, if you want to create that sleep plan, we're putting together that age appropriate bedtime for your child that might be earlier than when they go to bed at mom or dad's house. And that's okay. So a great age appropriate bedtime, great age appropriate bedtime routine. And then the biggest part of that plan, when we have that co-sleeping factor is what 
method or approach are we going to use to get the child to sleep in their own bed? And, you know, cry it out is not the only route to take. Cribbing the room isn't the only route to take. There's silent return. There's the chair method. Like there's a sit and settle. Like there's a lot of different methods and approaches that you can take, but it's okay for you to work on that only at your house. I know it's going to be harder, but it can't happen. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Reese is still in our bed. (laughs) (laughs) So backstory, guys. Jamie and I have been friends for a long time. (laughs) And this has been an ongoing thing. I mean, listen, that's clearly working with you guys, right? Well, I'm going to say it's probably at this point more about me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would probably agree with that. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Like Darren and I will say, okay, tonight we're going to start. We're going to have the conversation. She's going to be nine. Like she's old enough to understand this. And then we'll get close to bedtime and neither of us are willing. Yeah. We're like, no, we're not doing it. <laughs> okay. So she's also at an age where she's older. She gets it. Yeah. Good thing she doesn't listen to this podcast because she's like, don't tell people. I said, well, if you're embarrassed, yeah, you might want to, yeah. like, why are you embarrassed? I mean, this is where we go back to that conversation that we had with tweens and teens is sometimes you got to fight the fight. And I think that's been your biggest downfall is you just never been willing to fight that fight, you know? And at some point mm-hmm. you got to do it. And d- when I say fight the fight, that doesn't mean like yelling and screaming and punishment. Like, that's not what I mean. What I mean by that is there might be a couple of nights of a really shitty time to get you there. Yeah. But, you know. I know. Is it every night? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like she has her own pillow. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, maybe I'll just, you guys can talk. You and Reese can have a call. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll chat. We'll chat. I'll get it in. Okay. Other questions that come up with co-parenting. This reminded me of stepmoms will struggle because they're really into sleep and routine and all of that stuff. And then maybe at mom's house, the bedtimes are super lax or vice versa. Yeah. And the kids come and they're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for how to help transition them into a different sleep routine and kind of get them, obviously they're dealing with the sleep debt, right? Yeah. Get them back on track in the event that this is like not a conversation you can have with the other parents because they don't care about your opinion. Yeah. That's when it's hard. And I get that. So I think that's why it's so important to have consistency in your household, however that might be, so that your kids understand that when they come to your home, it's this way. And the more consistent you are with the bedtimes, with the bedtime routine, also having the conversation. And I mean, we do this with all kids, whether it's co-parenting, whether it's the same home. It's so important to have that conversation about the importance of healthy sleep. I mean, you and I have had this conversation with Reese, you know, we tell our kids, you know, eat healthy and treat others with kindness and move your body and blah, blah, blah. All these super important things, of course. But then we just say, go to bed or you should be sleeping or you need to go to bed. But why? You know, why do we need to sleep well? You know, how do we feel? You and I just had the conversation. You were very easy to tell me. And I love that you had that conversation with Reese. I don't feel great because I didn't sleep well last night because I did this. So how do you feel when you've had a bad night of sleep? How do you feel when you've had a great night of sleep? So start by having that communication about the importance of healthy sleep with your kids so that they understand the importance of sleeping well, I think is so important across the board. But then when they do come to your house, you know, having that consistency in that bedtime routine, even if it's a different bedtime, even if it's a different bedtime routine than what they're getting in the other house, that's okay. And 
explaining to them that it's okay is also important. You know, like, listen, you're at my house. This is how we do it here. This is how we'll always do it here, you know, so that they understand that if they're going to come to your house exhausted, it's going to mean an earlier bedtime. It's going to mean, you know, we're really going to focus on sleep, really get in those naps. If your kid's still napping, these are all important things that we do in our house. Kids thrive off routine and with co-parenting situations, routine is often not a thing, right? Or just non-existent. So making sure that in your home, if that's important for you, know that it's important for your kids so that they understand when they come to your house, that routine is in place. Mm-hmm. I also always suggest to stepmoms in this situation is like, don't have anything jam packed that day. Yeah. This is what it is. Like you can't control that. Yeah. So yeah you know, maybe when they come on Mondays, it's a super chill night and it's all about, you know, just kind of setting in the vibe and like bringing it down a bit and just kind of like giving them that relaxing environment to kind of recoup. And it's not fair that you have to deal with that, but it is kind of the situation. Absolutely. And you're right. It's not fair. And I get that, you know, that's going to build the resentment on the parent side, but yeah, I mean, if that's what's important for you, then that's what you have to do. If they're coming to you and it's, you know, your weekend with them, you know, maybe don't jam pack the weekend full of things, you know, to allow them that time to rest. And, you know, for those that are listening to this and are thinking like, well, that's not fair. And I'm always the parent that has to do it. And, you know, this and that also understand, like, you're also giving your kids something that they need. You know, again, you're not going to hear it from them if you're dealing with little kids and younger kids, but for the older kids, probably something that in some ways they want to. So again, I'm on a big, like shifting your mindset kick lately, just because there's something to be said about it. So, you know, shift your mindset instead of thinking negatively about it and in building that resentment and that unfairness, Look at it more as this is what they need. Yes, I'm not able to do certain things that I want to do with them, but I'm also giving them that rest time, that downtime that I know their body and mind need. Mm -hmm. That's okay. So good. Okay, last question. When kids are young, they obviously have attachment a lot of times to mom, right? Mom and baby, you know, bedtime and that kind of stuff. A lot of stepmoms in the forum talk about their struggle at bedtime when maybe the four or five, six-year-old is missing mom. Mm. and they're struggling to sleep because they want their mom. And it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, the ego of the stepmom could be like, well, why I'm here, we're doing this, like we're helping you, we're not your mom. And like just all of that can hurt your feelings, Yeah, which it's not about you. It's really about like the kids and their attachment to their mom. Do you have any tips or suggestions on how to help children ease that anxiety when they're dealing with that, you know, separation anxiety when they're not with their mom or they're not with their dad before bed? Yeah. I mean, listen, that is so hard. It so depends on the relationship between both the adults really is what it comes down to. Right. So the advice and steps that I give you really is dependent on where you're at in that relationship. So it could be as easy as on those nights where they're really missing it. Like, is it okay if they just quickly call their mom and say goodnight or call their dad and say goodnight? If you're not at that level, you know, maybe the parent who they're missing can give them like a stuffed animal. And it's like, you can bring the stuffed animal in your bed when you're at the other house and give it a hug. And, you know, that's me. So again, it's, you know, we even do this for our little kids who, you know, are getting out of bed a lot and going into the parent's room. It's like buying them that comfort item, whether it's a stuffed animal or a blanket or something that they can bring into bed and it can mimic the parent if they're not there. So whether they're not in the house at all, or they're just not in that room with them. But then also, you know, 
try and create that bedtime routine that's just your and the child's bedtime routine. And they might not be so open to it if they're really missing that other parent. But again, it all comes down to routine and consistency. The more consistent you are with creating that, I don't want to say fun because I don't want bedtime routine to be this big, like, you know, amusement park hoopla event. But if you're creating this kind of magical time for just you and that child and you're super consistent with it and they're involved with what they can contribute to that bedtime routine and what activities they can put in. And it's, again, coming back to that conversation, this is why we're doing it. You know, bedtime routine is really important. I want to have this really special time with you. What can we do during the bedtime routine that you would really like that would maybe make you, I don't want to say like miss your parent less because it's also okay that they miss their parent. We don't want to also make them feel like they can't miss the other parent or be vocal about it. But, you know, what can I do to maybe make you feel better and make you go to bed happy? And, you know, what can we include? So it can now be like your special time with the child. You always have to think like the feelings that you're feeling, again, going back to, we can't put that on the kid. These are feelings that you're feeling. So it's like, we have to, again, shift that. And how can we make them feel better about the bedtime routine? Not you necessarily feel better about the bedtime routine. So how can you create your own time with them, but then be consistent with that? So they know that again, when they come to your house, this is what they do with you. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, it makes so much sense. And Also knowing everything is a season, it will pass. 100%. Yeah. Mind you, I have been saying that about Reese in our bed for like (laughs) five, six, seven years. So good. At some point, we might need to actually make some changes. (laughs) Would you have a call with her? Can we work with you? And you could just, I feel like you and Reese would have a great conversation. I can talk with all of you guys together. We can put like a family sleep meeting together. I can be your meeting coordinator. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not very, I don't like her to be upset. And I know, you know what I think I have like some stuff from my childhood. Cause I remember my dad would never let me, my parents got divorced when no one got divorced and I lived with my dad and I was in the fourth grade. So I went to bed when I would go to bed, I would want to sleep with him. And he was just like, you cannot sleep with me. Like, you know, just, this could look bad. Like just all the reasons why the high conflict situation of this, this could be very inappropriate and you cannot. So I would lay outside his bed and he would have to lock his door or lay outside his door and make a bed. Yeah. And just like sleep out there and like cry myself to sleep. (laughs) But (laughs) So I think I probably have some like trauma from my childhood that I'm just like, I will not. I mean, don't we all like so much of decisions we make as parents is based on trauma that we've had as childhood, whether we recognize it as that or not, you know what I mean? So first of all, take the guilt away from that. I mean, my little heart breaks for little grade four Jamie who had to do that, but also understand that you are now a grown woman who no longer needs to sleep (laughs) with her dad. And Reese will be that too. And just understand that she's like, she's capable of doing it. Like she can do it. You know, I, I had a conversation with a woman who has a daughter, maybe a little bit younger than Reese, but still old enough. You know, we look at it. Yes, our kids are able to do it. We know our kids are able to do it, but the more we don't allow them to do it, the more we're also showing them that they need to know that they're like Reese needs to know that she's capable of doing it, but she also needs to know that you think she's capable of doing it. That's the most important thing, right? So that's where maybe some changes need to be made. Not to make you feel bad or anything. Oh, I don't feel bad. I've been dealing. I'm kind of over the guilt on this one. We like go to bed. We hold hands. We do our little meditation. There you. I mean, you got to do what works for you, right? If that works for you right now, who am I to tell you to change it? No, no. We should probably like at some point. I should like cuddle my husband at night. 
I feel like <laughs> might make a difference there. But anyway, we'll talk. We'll talk. We're going to schedule a family sleep meeting. I like it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Alana. Where can everyone find you? Everyone can find me at goodnightsleepsite.com. I am on Instagram at GN Sleep Site. I am on Facebook, Goodnight Sleep Site. I am on TikTok very rarely, but I post sometimes. Alana.McGinn. I'm all over the place. All different handles because I like to confuse everybody. We will link everything for everyone. And thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who you think it would resonate with. And if you haven't already, if you could take a couple minutes, head to iTunes and give this podcast a rating and a review. It would mean the world to me. But only if you like the episode though. If you don't, that's cool. Just remember what they say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, if you are a stepmom craving more, I highly recommend joining my membership, the exclusive stepmom community. Members get access to additional podcast episodes, interviews and coaching sessions and live Q&As and just exclusive next level content and conversation that I don't share anywhere else. Have an issue or a stressor that you'd like my support with? Just bring it to the Ask Jamie section of the forum. I check in throughout the week and I'm here to help you out. To get more information or to join, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership and I'll see you in there.